All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Dalton Gray. And I'm Mariah Humphreys. And today we are going to be answering a couple of listener questions we weren't able to get to last time, as well as talking about some other interesting topics pertinent to the seasons. Um, for anybody, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, our website is back up and functional. Um, Anybody tried to access it during the earlier part of last week, um, the week of the 13th, there was a, a server crash in the lower 48 that affected a bunch of websites. Ours was included in that. But we are still able to get questions uh, taken through the social medias. So if you uh, search at the Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram, you can get a question to us. Those are a couple we were able to answer last time, even though we had issues with this email server. Um, and under the assumption that everything will be working again, uh, yes. if you would like to, uh, contact us through our website, uh, we have a contact button there. Website is thenorthernhunter.com and, uh, or you can send us an email directly to info at thenorthernhunter.com. There's also a lot of great ways you can support what we're doing. And, uh, Dalton, you want to tell them about that? Yeah. So assuming that the website's back up, if you <laughs> go to our partners page and you click on that, you will, in good faith, <laughs> right. see, see our five partners, and those include Weatherby, Hammer Bullets, Batum 907, Stealthy Hunter, and Yukon River Knives. Now, we don't have a discount code through Weatherby, but we always ask our listeners that if we do help you uh, make the decision to purchase a Weatherby rifle, whether it's a 307 or a Vanguard or a Mark V rifle, uh, that you just uh, let them know in your order form that we sent you and that, yep. and that we helped you, uh, well, that, that we helped influence that decision uh, to buy a rifle from them. So for our other partners that we have right now uh, from Batum 907, we'll start with them. Uh, they are a local Alaska-based attractants and lures company that makes uh, bear bait uh, attractants and lures that we use exclusively on all of our bear baits. They also make a bunch of trapping lures, and they also make a legal Alaska moose hunting lure that is perfectly legal to use up here. So the regulations in Alaska specify that you cannot use urine as an attractant. Mm -hmm. So Batum 907 has found a way around that to make a moose lure that does not use illegal urine products. So Make sure that when you shop at Batum 907 for any of those products, whether it's bait lures for your bear bait or it's trapping lures or it's a moose hunting lure, that you use the discount code at checkout in the promo box 
TNHP for a discount on that order uh, that we actually had a listener write in uh, talking about that just this last week that mm-hmm. he got in contact with Jess, the owner, and he was going to get a hold of some nasty boar for a <laughs> fall bear hunt, I believe, I believe it, was. it was. Yeah. Um, somewhere in the low 48 where baiting is legal in the fall. There are also parts of Alaska where you can bear bait into the fall as well. Um, it, I believe in most parts of the lower 48, most bear baiting takes place in the fall. It, it seems like a lot of yeah. it does. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just to summarize, he said that, uh, you know, he was able to get a hold of Jess, the owner, and had a great conversation with her and that she was very helpful mm-hmm. and uh, that he was very grateful for us kind of sending him that direction. So be sure to check out Betum 907 for any of your attractants and lures needs and use our discount code TNHP at checkout. Now, our other three partners that we have discount codes through all use the same code just for the sake of continuity. The Northern Hunter is your promo code for Stealthy Hunter and Yukon River Knives and Hammer Bullets. Mm -hmm. So Hammer Bullets, we've talked a lot about. All of us here shoot Hammer Bullets on a regular basis. We all reload them in Mm -hmm. in several different varieties of, of calibers and cartridges and rifles and uh, soon-to-be handguns as well. Yeah. And uh, I know we say this every single time that we talk about hammer, but they always seem to be in stock, nope. which is in today's bullet world, right. pretty hard to find. <laughs> I mean, and, and we won't stop saying that till it fails right. to be true, because right. as of today, it has never failed to be true. Right. <laughs> I've been trying to get my dad to go to, to try start loading hammers yeah. in his main hunting rifle. And uh, because... You know, he, he, he uses, what, the, uh, the Barnes 180s right now, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And he has a hard time finding them. You know, mm-hmm. when he finds them, he buys them. But, like, if you load the hammers, they'd always be there. You just no. get them when you want them. Right. No. They've got them, yeah. So if you shop from Hammer Bullets, I mean, they've got everything from the Hammer Hunter, which is the original design. They've got the Power Hammer, the Shock Hammer, the Absolute Hammer, the new Hammer HHT, mm-hmm. which is a variant of the Hammer Hunter but with a different hollow point designed to accept a polymer tip, which at the time of this recording, um, they are sending you the tips in a little separate baggie inside Mm -hmm. the bullet box. And then they send you a little tool with which you can use to set, uh, well, set or seat those tips in the nose of the bullet in that hollow point. And they don't come back out. After you seat them in there, they are in there just like any other bullet. Um, but right now, just because they're in the early stages of producing that bullet, mm-hmm. they don't have the ability at this time of this episode to just manufacture them and then also put the tips in them in the manufacturing process. Mm. So for the gain that you get for the for the benefits of having a tipped bullet, wh- wh- whether you're looking at it from a reliable expansion perspective or whether you're looking at it from a ballistic coefficient standpoint, Either way, it's worth the couple of minutes of time that it would take you to put all of those polymer tips in those bullets. So be sure to check out Hammer Bullets. And again, that discount code is the Northern Hunter at checkout, and you'll get a good discount there. All these discount codes directly help us keep doing what we're doing. Exactly. Then you head over to StealthyHunter.com, and there you'll find Stealthy Hunter gear, such as the rifle cover that we all use the glassing pad that you can sit on that keeps your rear end dry when you're sitting in the wet Alaskan <laughs> tundra, whether it's on a mountainside or in a swamp bottom moose hunting. It's all wet. It's, <laughs> it's always along with you, and it yeah. makes a great rear rest to support the stock of your rifle back at the butt end of the gun if you're shooting prone. I've done that uh, quite a lot shooting. So also, Stealthy Hunter has their nutrition side of the company. They've got turmeric, 
uh, protein powder. Uh, I, I think they call it bone broth protein powder. Mm-hmm. They've also got a bunch of CBD products. And the, the, the nice part about the Stealthy Hunter Nutrition aspect of their company is it's all geared towards the outdoorsman. It's mm-hmm. all geared towards muscle recovery, muscle building, joint recovery. Um, long-term physical health is paramount to being an outdoorsman and spending a lot of time in the field. And it's, it, it's hard on your body over time. You know, it, it's a very common thing to hear about bad knees, bad backs, bad joints, yep. you name it. it. I'm sure we've all heard of all the physical ailments that, that just kind of come along with being an avid outdoorsman. So Stealthy Nutrition, that side of Ryan and Hillary's company, specifically deals with that part of your hunting lifestyle is keeping your body in good physical condition. And then last but not least is Yukon River Knives. From anything to do with the always there knife, uh, that's a knife combo sling, to the small game knife, to the hunter, those three are their flagship line. You can do anything you want with any of those three knives. I've got all three of those. They work great. They hold an edge for a long time. Uh, the small game and the hunter both have micarta handles. Most of their knives sport a micarta handle. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that in our little commercial for Yukon River Knives as well. The nice part about micarta is that it has the feel of a wooden handle on the knife, but it doesn't get slippery when it gets wet. Yeah. So for long skinning jobs, you've got blood and fat and grease all over your knife handle. And it doesn't lose that essential grip that you need to finish a long job. And the blades last a long time. Mm -hmm. As far as edge retention, they last a long time. I've skinned out um, large trophy-sized brown bears on the coast of Alaska on one edge, Mm -hmm. on either the Hunter or the Sendero Bush Knife, which they have now modified into a new model called the Sendero Pack Knife which is a tiny bit smaller than the Sendero Bush Knife, but it's the same overall design and handle design. Oh, that's cool. So it's a, it's a bit more compact for those guys that don't want such a big knife altogether. Yeah. I've got a Sendero pack coming that, I, that I'm also going to be using this fall here, hopefully on a few more animals as the season goes on. So again, same discount code as is for Stealthy Hunter and Hammer Bullets. Also applies to Yukon River Knives. The Northern Hunter at checkout, you'll receive a nice discount on your order and again help us keep doing what we're doing and don't forget about the northern hunter merch yeah, on the website baby. that's our newest edition we have some new designs and things coming out here shortly that uh, that james has been working on particularly and we're excited to see that you know mm-hmm. have some have some variety and just just have kind of a alaska cool factor if you will but if I got to say, that logo does look cool, too. It so. does look good, and, and, I, and I enjoy wearing it, but I know a lot of folks like having like a little unique graphic design to, yes, their, to yes. their T-shirt or hoodie, so we're excited yep. to release that here shortly, hopefully. Yep. So. Yeah, we're, we're a young company, and, and so we're, we're developing, but another thing I like about all of our sponsors is a lot of them are also small, up-and-coming companies, too. You yeah. know, um, little kind of, you could almost say mom-and-pop shops. Um, you know, Batum 907 is not a huge huge company uh yukon river knives is not a huge company Mm -hmm. hammer bullets is still developing and keeping going as they as they grow um but they're all phenomenal products and they're all going to to last the distance and supporting people like that is really important and the cool thing is that like with hammer you know it's always in stock um you know i know jess over there at batum she's always working hard to keep things available to ship year round really Um, you know, the guys down at Yukon River Knives. I mean, those are phenomenal blades and uh supporting them really, really is an awesome thing to do. And again, that does help support us. Um, so we appreciate anybody that does that. 
Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a great great uh, last couple of weeks up here. The smoke's gone away. Things yeah. have been great, um, and it seems as though a lot of people are having a really good caribou hunt this year. Yeah, <laughs> at least on the forty mile herd. Yeah. So. Um, for everybody that's not aware, should be by now, <laughs> by the time this comes out, but um, it looks like they closed down the uh, sections one and four, zones one and four for the 40-mile caribou hunt. Uh, quotas were met. Mm-hmm. So all right, I guess at the time of this recording, they're expected to be met, but yeah. we're pretty sure they're met. Yeah. Um, so they, they may reopen it, but chances are very, very low. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, because they, they fully called it out in an article I was just reading a little bit ago uh, before season opened that they expected all of the quota to be met within the first four days, which hasn't happened the last several years. Yeah. Um, the last several years up there, it's been pretty pretty sparse mm-hmm. opening week, yeah. actually. So yeah. I was kind of surprised to see that they were expecting it to, to go so well and then actually to see that, yeah. that so many people did well. Yeah. Um, but really excited at the same time. Glad a lot of people got out there and, yeah. and got to be out in the woods. So Yeah, from what I've seen on that 40-mile you know, caribou Facebook hunting group. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like everything I've seen on there, everybody was nice and courteous and, yeah. and, and did their best to, to hunt in a safe manner and, and look beyond their target before they shot. And yep. that's, that's good to see. A lot of folks helping out other folks to send them the direction of caribou or where they saw the caribou go after they got theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, some folks talking about, well, you know, I killed a caribou and these guys helped me load it into my truck or get it on my four-wheeler and things like that. That's what you want to see when there right. are a lot of folks in an area on a hunt like that. It's nice to see that hunter's community mm-hmm. step in and help out your fellow outdoorsmen. That, yeah. that, that's, that's always nice to see. And well, like you said, Fish and Game said that they would only leave it open for the first uh, three, three and a half days of season. That, four, they, four days is what they call yeah. it, but yeah. Yeah, so um, four days, but they closed it the 13th at midnight. Right, yeah. So it, it was only open for three full days before they shut it down yep. um no four full days o- open the 10th yeah so correct four, yeah. four yeah. full days it was open and they closed it and they estimate that between 450 and 500 had already been shot mm-hmm. they don't have the hard number yet but they did already announce that it's going to be closed and they're not going to reopen it yep so there there are zones two and three left which are a little bit harder to get to there really aren't very many caribou in there yet at this point right so that that those two zones might remain open for a bit longer, mm-hmm. uh, but even then, there aren't that many left in the quota altogether to kill. So I don't really expect it to say that uh, I'm open that much longer at any rate. Right. So well, and the management of the forty mile herd has been kind of up and down. You could say in yeah. the last couple of years. You yeah. know, some years they'll open it to any caribou. Right. You know, a few years ago they opened it to two of any caribou, um, and then some years it seems like it's just much lower. Um, yeah. So it is cool to see kind of a reactive management yeah. system there, um, which I think is important for caribou because they do fluctuate so much. Yeah. Um, but I really want to pinpoint that, what you were saying earlier. I've been watching the the 40 mile, you know, uh, Facebook groups and mm-hmm. talking to people that have been up there. Yeah. And it seems like it was a much better experience these days it or does. this year. I, I know we it talked does. about it in, in a past episode a few weeks ago um, about some of the horror stories we've experienced up there right. and other people. And, you know, it's one of those things where, Everybody you talk to has the same experience. Everybody right. you talk to thinks it needs to change. Right. And it's nice to see people actually putting the work in yeah. individually to, to make that happen because that's how it changes. Right. You know, you don't want 
all kinds of extra regulations and rules and right. and things coming down on people and it just limits the opportunity but if we can all just self-govern and just, right. just, just I was just thinking just the be, exact same term <laughs> yeah. self-govern that's, yeah just that's, be you know decent people out in the woods yeah. which it seems like a lot of people were this year and, yeah. and we all appreciate that um, I'm sure everybody that was out there appreciates oh, it yeah. um, and makes it a much better experience for everybody yeah and that's what we appreciate about them <laughs> <laughs> that is what we appreciate about them yeah um but yeah so zones uh, two and four, or sorry, two and three are going to remain open for, for at least from the time that this is being recorded. We're right. recording this a little bit early in the week. So be sure, as we always say, be sure to uh, call the hotline, double check, make sure before you head out. I mean, and I'm talking about while you're in the truck rolling out of town. Yeah. You know, call that hotline, make sure that you're, you're understanding the rules and the regulations as you, you roll out because these things are subject to change. In a heartbeat. Right. You can go to bed with the season open, wake up, season's closed. So right. just make sure you're right. in the right, especially before you get out of cell range. Mm-hmm. So especially in these other zones, you're going to be out of cell range pretty much the entire time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, let's see here. So that's the exciting news for caribou season. Mm-hmm. Um, Dalton, you had something you wanted to talk about pertaining yeah. to other seasons. Yeah, just kind of on the note of safety in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this... There's a little bit of unfortunate news. There was uh, some recent uh, information that came out in, in a couple of news sources about an unfortunate plane crash that happened mm. with a pilot and a sheep hunter that went down. And it, it sounds like uh, both parties were, uh, were killed in the plane wreck. <sighs> and um, there was another guy that was, that was being shuttled in that same hunt. There were two hunters and a pilot that were getting transported uh, by, by, the, by the transport pilot. And one of the hunters got left at an interim uh, point on the way out to their spot to sheep hunt. And while the pilot and the first hunter were flying out, mm. uh, something happened. I, but there, at this point, we don't know any reasons behind what happened. You know, I'm sure there's an ongoing investigation into it. There always is. Yeah. And uh, so the, right now, we don't know any reasons uh, of mm. why, what happened. Uh, but this this individual got stuck at his airstrip waiting for his plane to return uh, from dropping off his friend. And the plane never came back. He ended up having to get distracted out of there by helicopter. Mm-hmm. But kind of on the point that we made in the last episode about always having your survival gear with you and never sending that on a flight in good faith that either the plane will come back right. or that you'll get you know uh, picked up and taken to your gear, however that ends up being, if you get stuck somewhere, you've got to have what you need. So obviously... Our condolences to the parties involved Absolutely. in that unfortunate um, wreck. That's that's a dangerous part about Alaska. You know that that's that is a, a risk that all of us take on a regular basis. Flying out on places like that, it's yeah. uh, you know bush flying in Alaska is um, unfortunately known for those kind of events. It's it's sad when it happens. Yeah. Um, well, and in a lot of cases, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. To begin with, I mean, right. there there are people that have owned and operated airline or not airlines but air services here in alaska for decades and decades that just Mm -hmm. hit a bad patch of weather Mm -hmm. some some raging crosswinds whatever might be the case mechanical failure mechanical failure i mean it's it's just it happens and it's extremely sad it is a a a dangerous game to play yeah um and you know it's it's so sad to see when that does happen because you know if if somebody puts in the work to become a bush pilot yeah. And to run one of these planes, you know, these guys aren't 
amateur hour guys. No. You know, you have to put in a lot of hours. You have to yeah. put in a lot of time. There's a lot of knowledge. I mean, I would almost argue that bush pilots, um, I would trust them over like commercial pilots um, because yeah. I've seen the operating systems of both. <laughs> and there's a lot of auto features <laughs> on, on yeah. bigger planes, you know. And right, right, right. You watch some of these these pilots in these smaller rigs yeah. and they're- This is they're, old fashioned. They're, they're turning- Le- you know, pulling levers and pushing things back in and turning wheels and just adjusting to everything as it comes. And I mean, they're yeah. super skilled and yeah. um, it is really hard to see when something like this happens. Yeah. yeah. So, but kind of on the same note, there was another guy that, that I know I, I'm just, just for sake of confidentiality, we're not going to name his name on mm-hmm. the podcast, but uh, an individual was on a solo backpack hunt in the mountains this last week, as I, as I know it. And he killed, a, he killed an animal in the mountains, mm-hmm. again, by himself. Killed the animal, and he inreached his pilot and said, I'm going to get, you know, hey, I got my animal. I'm going to get picked up tomorrow, or, or, mm-hmm. or it might have even been that night. He said, I'm going to come off the mountain, and it was steep, cliffy country. Mm-hmm. And as he was making his descent, he fell with the whole animal in his pack. And all of his camp, all of his gear, uh, he had a bow. And he went for a tumble for, for a little ways in the alders and he landed face first. And at some point in the fall, he twisted one of his legs the wrong way and he heard his knee pop and there was, you know, intense pain and he couldn't stand on it, couldn't put any weight on it. Mm. And so he assumed that he wouldn't be able to carry his pack because of his physical condition now. So he opted to just send his pack off the, off the slide down the mountain and just recover it later, mm-hmm. which I never did quite catch if he ever recovered his pack. That's kind of irrelevant. At this point, he's in a survival <laughs> situation. But he opted to just send his pack down the slide mm-hmm. and then try to make the descent on his, on his hands and sliding down on, on, on his rear end, essentially. And he cut a couple of crutches out of some alders and I, I know for a fact that he kept his inreach on his person and, you know, maybe a few little survival items that he could make it for mm. a little while should he have to ascend for a helicopter for, his, for an SOS on his inreach. And he ended up making his way down the mountain eventually, mm-hmm. and he got picked up. And he seems to be doing all right. I don't know what the extent of the damage to his knee was. Uh, hopefully, you know, he makes a full recovery. Mm-hmm. He lives a life in the outdoor industry pretty heavily up here. Uh, he's, he's pretty well known in Alaska and obviously we wish him a speedy recovery, but right. it's another good example of when you're out there an in reach is an invaluable tool for rescue yeah. and to communicate with your transportation, whether that's a pilot that's coming in on a float plane or on a super cub on wheels, or if you've got a friend that can come in on a four wheeler and pick you up on a trail system, if you get injured too badly to get yourself out, mm-hmm. you've got to have a way to communicate like that. And this is, you know, at the time of this recording, it's still only a few days after August 10th. Sheep season has just kicked off. We're only, well, less than a week into sheep season. Mm-hmm. There's already some guys, well, I'm sure a lot of guys that have killed rams already. Uh, I've seen a lot of photos going around already from sheep hunters that have been successful, and that's great. And there are a lot of solo hunters out there, mm-hmm. but you need to be careful. Safety needs to be the number one priority. Mm-hmm. Always make sure that you've got what you need to survive on your person and have an in reach. Well, and one thing to point out is, I mean, obviously, for, like you said, for confidentiality, we're not going to say who it was, but yeah. this guy is a very experienced individual. Oh, yeah. Not a newbie at all. And this was not, not his not first a, solo hunt. Not a either. first solo hunt. Yeah. But 
you know, things can happen regardless of your experience level, regardless, yep. you know, sometimes the rock that you step on just slides out from under you. Yep. Sometimes, you know, just, just nature happens, you yep. know, and it's really unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it is easy to get complacent when you've gone out several times and come yeah. back unscathed and, and unhurt. Um, but it's, it is something to always keep in mind yeah. and always, always keep it the, the forward part of your mind yeah. because it can happen quick yeah. and, and the, the repercussions are, are bad. Yeah, so. They definitely can be, you know, something else that you need to consider is if you kill an animal on the top of a mountain somewhere and on your descent, you find yourself cliffed out, mm-hmm. you don't have to continue with that route. Yeah. You don't have to commit to that route. Don't be afraid to just swallow your pride and say, you know what? Maybe this isn't the safest route. Go back up, look at your maps, try to come back down the same way that you made your ascent. If that's too steep to go back down, then look for a different route out and do it with daylight. Now, in August, that's relatively easy to do because we still have a lot of daylight hours. As you get towards the end of August and into September, these mountain hunts become a lot more dangerous as you get into these night hikes off the hills. Right. There's nothing wrong with doing a night hike as long as you've already got a safe route planned off the mountain. Now, somebody else that I know, I'm not going to mention their name, but they were doing a mountain hunt last year, I believe it was, for mountain goat. Mm-hmm. And they killed a goat. They were by themselves. And they got to a steep spot where they, they had come up but they weren't able to go back down with, with a whole goat on their back. They didn't want to make two trips down and back up, down and back up with half a goat. Right. So he took the meat out of his pack in his game bags, tied all the game bags together with paracord, and sent them down the slide. <laughs> and then went down and slid down with his pack on, but unbuckled, slid down on his rear end, just slid down the scree slope, made his way through the channel of boulders, then went down, grabbed his meat, and it was totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> Picked it up and then continued on back down to camp. My goodness. It's a risk, yeah. but if it's the difference between safely making your descent or teetering back and mm-hmm. forth on the edge of balance with oh, over yeah. 150 pounds on your pack, that could make the difference. You know, and, and people don't understand when you fall with a pack on in such steep terrain, mm you bounce. Yes. Because yeah. when you're going down and you fall and you try to lean into the mountain, people forget. It's just instinctive. You forget that you've got an extra, you know, 18 inches sticking off your back laterally. Right. And that hits the mountainside behind you before your rear end does to give you balance and before your back hits the mountain because mm-hmm. that's what your body wants to do. You want to just get back up against the mountain and lay there, just lay there flat and then self-arrest. Mm-hmm. But when you've got a pack on, if you start to slip and then you hit that pack, it's gonna, you're going to continue to slide, and then that pack gets pushed up, which forces your upper body away from the mountainside. Mm-hmm. And then you go head over heels, and then you start bouncing, and you can hit something, then you go airborne for... 10 feet, oh, yeah. 20 feet, 100 feet. Yeah, depending on how steep it is. And the steeper it is, the longer you're going to be airborne. And the longer you're airborne, mm-hmm. the less your chance of coming away from that unscathed is. Yeah. So be very, very careful with that. At the end of the day, safety should be the top of your list. You need Absolutely. to be able to come home rather than try to play tough guy and pack it all off in one load. Yeah. It's so, not worth dying on a mountainside for. No. It's, it's, it's a great pursuit. We definitely encourage everyone to try, you yeah. know, to get out there as, as 
and push themselves and achieve, you know, new feats, you know, push yourself past your comfort level, but understand the limitations. But on your way up the mountain, if you look back down and you say, oh boy, I'm empty right now and I don't even want to go back down that. Maybe (laughs) you should just go right back down and not shoot something up that high. Mm -hmm. That's part of your responsibility is know your limits. Know know what you're comfortable with. Bring some kind of a micro spikes for your boots if you're in slick grass country in the cliffs and the steep terrain like that to give yourself better footing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes crampons and an ice axe are necessary. Um, I've even heard of guys bringing climbing rope and carabiners mm-hmm. to, to lower meat down a cliff like that. And that's not a bad way. It's, Some guys even lower their packs down over things like that. Yeah. To me, if I've got to lower my pack over a cliff and then go down empty, that's a little steeper than I want to be hunting. <laughs> um, at least by myself. Right, if I've got yeah. a whole party of guys, then maybe we'll make that happen. But right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pushing it pretty tight. Yeah, no, it is. And, and we definitely want everybody to be safe yeah. while they're out there and, and yeah. you know, be able to come home with the cool stories. Yeah. So, and make sure you've got your first aid kit with you. Absolutely. From, and, uh, from Stealthy Hunter. Yes. Right? It has everything you need, nothing you don't, yep. and it's lightweight. Yep. You'll, you'll never even know what's in your pack. Yep. So, um, so I did want to clarify one thing real quick. I was not trying to talk badly about any uh, commercial pilots there. I, I oh, rethought no, no, no. about what I heard, what no. I said. No. Um, so if you, if you heard that and you thought so, just... I'm, I, I fly like three times a week, <laughs> so I, I appreciate all pilots. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, simply commenting on the, on the skills of, of these bush pilots here. So yeah. let's take a quick break, and then we'll dive into some listener questions. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, Go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, so our first listener question comes from Ed. Um, and it's actually more of a suggestion than a question. So um, we'll just dive in. Let's see. He says, 
Gentlemen, again, great show. I'm binging the show and catching up fast. You got a long ways to go, bro. Right. <laughs> but we appreciate you listening. And uh, thank you for writing in. He um, says, on your episode during the spring bear season, you were talking about the 4570s and sights. He says, I don't have a lever 4570, but he runs iron sights on a Ruger M77 that wears a 35 wheeling barrel. It's a nice round for bear hunting, and he hunts mm-hmm. bears up in the UP of Michigan. I've been using a Williams gun sight, iron sight, with an orange fiber optic front sight and a green fiber optic rear. Um, I know they make an option for the Marlin. It might be worth looking at for your hunting style. Um, this is also, he's the one that he says he called mm-hmm. uh, Jess yeah. at Beta 907 for some nasty boar, and uh, <laughs> says she's a class act, and I ended up chatting with her for over half hour. <laughs> Yeah. says, thanks for the great show and information and stories. Well, uh, Ed, appreciate you writing in. That's a great suggestion for anybody looking for that. Um, I believe he's referencing back when we talked about uh, probably me trying ghost sites again. Um, probably. And then uh, you're, you're talking about the, the scope that's on your Marlin currently as well. Right. Um, and uh, that gr- seems like a great option. Actually, I found the Williams gun site uh, online. I hadn't ordered one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I might check that out for my 30-30. Yeah. But I'm, I'm looking at a couple different options for mine. I'm not sure I want to stick with the iron version on my lever gun. Um, simply just due to curiosity of trying different kinds of sights, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. Um, if I was, the, the hard part that I ran into with the standard uh, ghost ring that came on my, my lever gun was it didn't have a, a fiber optic dot at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and that made it really hard in the lower light situations, yeah, that's uh, especially, especially when you're chasing a darker colored animal. Um, so to have those fiber optic, uh, ref, you know, reflecting components there is, is really important. They'll hold the light really well. They're very easy to see in low light mm-hmm. and they're, I believe legal in all 50 States. I don't think there's any kind of regulation in any state against fiber optic sites that I've ever heard of. Um, yeah. I might be wrong on that, but yeah, at least for Alaska and pretty much anywhere, heard of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, any, anywhere you can hunt bears, at least I know <laughs> you can. Right. And, uh, I gotta say that's, that's a, that's a very good round. And, uh, I, 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 I'm jealous of you, man, uh, being able to hunt bears up there in the UP. Uh, when my wife and I got married, that's, that's where we went for our honeymoon actually. And uh-huh. it is very beautiful country up there. Yeah. Uh, we, we got married uh, right along the lake, uh, Lake Michigan, and then scooted up to the UP for a 10-day camping trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. There you go. yeah. That's some beautiful country up there. So, yeah. Uh, congratulations on uh, being able to do that. <laughs> well, let's go ahead but, and jump into the next one here. I'll take yep. this one. Jack. Ah. On TSA locks on gun cases. He says, I was listening to episode 37, Enter the Guide Camp. You stated that the locks on a rifle case must be TSA approved. I've traveled and hunted in many other states and flown with firearms, and I never use TSA locks for my rifle or pistol cases because you were the only person that should have access to the firearm. Anytime TSA is needed in any of my cases, they've had to contact me to open them. Normally, they will do the inspection, and then you lock it up in front of them after you've declared your firearm at the ticket counter. It has only happened to me once that I have been through security when they called me back to open the case for an additional inspection, but they escorted me back through security without having to wait in line, and it was no issue. This will also solve your solution to the middle layer of foam and packing your clothes around the firearm, because you can repack everything before you lock it up. Well. 
<laughs> Jack, this is a classic example of you never know what you're going to get at the TSA counter. No. Because I, too, travel, and this is against what we even recommended in our mm. podcast. I use master locks, long throat master locks on my rifle cases for the same reason that you do. Mm-hmm. I recommend folks to use TSA locks because I have had a couple of times where they've called me back through security and they didn't re-escort me back through security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to go back through the line <laughs> and get rechecked and then go back into the boarding terminal. So a horror story that mm-hmm. happened recently to me, well, not directly to me, but to someone that I was hunting with, is we were flying uh, in this year at some point. Um, not going to narrow it down too much. <laughs> but somebody and myself were traveling to uh, a part of Alaska to hunt. And this individual had, I don't believe he had lock, uh, um, TSA-approved locks on his gun case. He declared his firearm case. He went through security. TSA did not request to open it, which is pretty common, at least in the Fairbanks airport now. Mm-hmm. Now they don't ask you to unlock the case. They it- say, go ahead and lock it. As long as nothing is loaded and there's no ammunition loose, we'll just run it through a scanner and you're good to go. If there's a problem, you can hang out here for five minutes and we'll come out and let you know. Otherwise, you're good to go after five minutes. Yes. That's how Fairbanks Airport operates. Mm -hmm. However, there are a few other airports that I go through in Alaska on a pretty regular basis now that they don't operate like that. Mm -hmm. And they ask you for your keys. They don't let me back in the TSA inspection area. And therefore, I have no idea what they're doing or how they're going to repack things in the case. And like I mentioned in that episode of Enter the Guide Camp, my experience was very bad a few times when they supposedly inspected it and brought my keys back out to me, said they locked it, and said that they put everything back like it was. Well, they didn't, in fact, repack everything properly. And as a result, now I use that middle layer of foam. I don't Mm -hmm. put anything else besides firearms and ammo in my gun case. That way it all sits in that foam protected and it will not move without a doubt. It it won't move. Mm -hmm. The case won't even close unless it's put back the right way. Mm. So this individual that I'm talking about put his gun through security. TSA didn't call him back. He didn't have TSA approved locks. He went through security, went on his flight. And when he arrived at our destination, he went to pick up his gun case and there were no locks on his gun case. Mm -hmm. They had been cut off. TSA didn't leave a note in the case that they had further inspected it without his permission, like they do on your duffel bags or suitcases if they have to inspect it manually. They didn't give him any notice that they had cut the locks off of his case. Now, federal law requires that that case be locked while in transit at the airport. Mm -hmm. Inside of the TSA terminals, that case has to be locked. You can get fined. You can have prison time, and you can get put on a no-fly list if that gun case is irresponsibly unlocked or has dangerous contents in it, such as a loaded gun or things like that. Now, TSA didn't give him any heads up. Now, he didn't make any stink about it, but I sure would have. Oh, I would have. I surely would have, because that could land on me, Mm -hmm. right? So we recommend just to be safe to have TSA locks on there just so that if they have to get in, right. they can. And then 
they have to put it back on and they're more likely to put it back on rather than them try to page you in the airport and try to get your keys from you. Well, and I want to say this too, because so we talk about a lot of different topics Mm -hmm. on this show. Um, and, and we recommend a certain style of doing things. And typically we will always recommend the safest, best route to do something Mm -hmm. where you're going to have the least amount of resistance by the letter of the law, by the letter of the law. Um, and, so, and typically, you know, we, we really appreciate when people do write in and, and correct us on things. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or just to discuss things they might not right. agree with that. We right. say we have absolutely no qualm. We appreciate everybody that does that. Um, we have gotten a lot of responses on the TSA lock mm-hmm. thing that you and I talked about in that episode. Yeah. Um, which kind of, to me, just shows kind of why we needed to talk about it a little bit because right. there's a lot of people that I think haven't had those bad experiences. Yeah. Um, I have had a personal experience as well, negatively where, you know, in Alaska, and if you're in any, you know, gun-friendly state, hunter-friendly state, you're yeah. probably not going to have too much of a problem with right. taking your firearm to the airport because they've seen it a thousand times. They know the procedures. Um, and so that happened to me. I was taking a rifle down to the lower 48 and I checked in in Fairbanks and had no problem. I did not have, t- I used master locks as well. Mm-hmm. Not TSA mm-hmm. approved. Yeah. Um, got down to the lower 48, did my thing. And on the way back, I used the exact same locks, packed it the exact same way. And the airport where I was turned me away. Mm. They said, sir, this is not, um, you're not allowed to use these locks. We have to be able to access it, blah, blah, blah. So the reason we recommend TSA locks is luckily I was able to find padlocks in the airport. Right. But had I not been able to find padlocks in the airport, I would have had to then leave, go get new locks. And if you're anything like me, you didn't show up early enough to have time to go run back to Walmart and buy new locks (laughs) um, before you had to get through security. And so, you know, there, there are just those instances where, you know, yeah, maybe nine times out of 10, you're fine. Yeah. But it takes one TSA agent having one bad day and it could ruin your travel plans. Yeah. And if you're not, thinking ahead of time enough to book, you know, two days ahead of time travel before your outfitter's picking you up mm-hmm. and you end up having to go get new locks and missing your flight and having to reschedule for another time, even if it's a day later, that can sometimes really mess up your plans. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so the reason we recommend TSA locks is simply to keep it as seamless as possible. Right. To make sure you're not going to run into any kind of hiccups right. as we have multiple times. Yeah. Um, the system that I run now, I, I already said that I run master locks mm-hmm. and I've got a bundle of keys that stays with me the whole time I'm traveling on the way to my destination. Right. I also have four spare TSA approved locks <laughs> in my carry on bag yeah. so that if I get there to check in the gun case and somebody throws a fit about it and says, I'm sorry, sir, you're going to have to go through security, go up to the gift shop upstairs and purchase four TSA locks. Mm-hmm. I can say, oh. No, I brought these just in case. Hey, or, or I might just blow a little bit of smoke and say, oh, well, look at here. I just happen to have some extra locks. <laughs> and that way I can just swap them out, put the master locks back in my carry-on, and I'll try to put them back on there for the way home because mm-hmm. I agree with what, mm-hmm. uh, w- with, right. w- with what uh, Jack said about the idea of it is that they don't have access to it. Right. After the inspection, nobody needs to have access to that. That's the ideal scenario. I feel the exact same way. I'm very protective of my stuff. 
um, any one of us here traveling with a two-gun case with two firearms in it probably has more money in that gun case than one of those baggage handlers <laughs> makes in a month, right? right? There's thousands and thousands of dollars in our gun cases. Right. Especially if you if you have a big enough one, you, you've got your rifles in there, right. you've cut out a spot for your spotter. Exactly. You got, you know, other, you know, it's exactly. more than just the rifles exactly. in there. All of the important fragile stuff is yeah. packed in there. So I agree with you. I, I, I don't disagree with your, mm-hmm. with your line of thought there, Jack, but the reason why we recommend the high road, just to be safe, mm-hmm. at least have four cheap TSA locks on your carry-on when you check in your gun case. That way, if anybody wants to give you any headache about it, you can yep. just swap them out. You don't have to be late for your flight. You can just quickly, oh, I'm sorry about that here. I have these extra locks. I always carry extra locks with me. Mm -hmm. And you can just put them on there and then you can get through and you can still go on your hunt. No big deal. No delays, right? Right. I personally like to use the master locks because of that reason. But a word of advice, if you show up at baggage claim and you claim your rifle case in your oversized luggage area at your airport and it's been tampered with or the locks are gone, Man, pitch a fit. Yeah. I'm not a complainer as far as public services go like that. I Those guys get enough of a headache from other passengers all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't like to do that unnecessarily. But if I see my gun case get thrown off of the loading ramp onto the tarmac, which has happened, mm-hmm. I go tell somebody about it. And I tell them, hey, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is not all right. It's got fragile stickers on it. There's a lot of money in here. This is what I do for work. You've got to be better with this kind of thing. I, I, will, I will say something about that. And then especially, if they cut the locks off your stuff, mm-hmm. you've got to say something about that. So that's, yeah. I think that's all we need to say about that. But. No, and, and, and again, we, we appreciate everybody that writes in. And typically, we don't, we don't really revisit a whole lot on the show. Yeah. Um, if somebody has an opinion outside of, of right. our own, we'll, right. we'll, we'll talk to you in, in person or you know, respond to your, to your email or yeah. message. but. Um, this one we've gotten a lot of responses from, yeah, so felt, it was, felt the need to, yeah. to bring it up again. It was worth talking about. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, Jack, thank you. Thank you for writing in. If you have any questions or anything, feel free to write in again. Yeah. Um, so our next question comes from Zach and, uh, says, Hey guys, my name is Zach. I'm an Iowa hunter. Heard about you on the gritty podcast and love your show. Um, it's been a bucket list item for me to hunt moose in Alaska, but planning the logistics seems to be t- a tough hill to climb. So wondering if you guys could uh, do a podcast on how a non-resident with a blue-collar income might start to plan a moose hunt, namely a float. Uh, DIY or semi-guided slash outfitted is the most appealing, um, but how would a guy get all the gear needed up there? Are there affordable outfits that you could rent all the gear from that you need? Um, how do you get hundreds of pounds of moose meat back to lower 48? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, and he remembers saying that, or remembers us saying that in a recent podcast that Alaska is vast and you can go hundreds of miles sometimes without seeing game. So how does one uh, plan a hunt and be in the ballpark of game without being able to scout? Those are all very, very good questions. And I'm sure ones that everybody that's planning a moose hunt, a DIY specific moose hunt is thinking about. Yes. Um, it, and to clarify the, the hundreds of miles without seeing game, uh, I think we were talking about driving. That is that, that is true of, of the highway system yes. of driving. Um, in most instances, though, if you're out hunting somewhere that is, you know, where you would want to go on a DIY hunt yeah. away from 
from civilization away from the public. Yeah. Um, you're typically going to be off the road mm -hmm. system, yeah. uh, especially if you're on a float. Uh, there are moose aplentiful. You yeah. know, there, there's, there's plenty of game to be spotted. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is people get this image that they're behind every tree. Right. You know, there's a moose and bear and caribou behind every, every bush, every rock, every tree. Right. And that's not the case. And so right. we, we try to, to give people a realistic view, a realistic expectation yep. for when they come up here. But there is plenty of game to chase. Yep. Um, so don't, don't take that as it's just a barren wasteland. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> um, right. it's anything but. Uh, but you do have to put the work in. You do have mm -hmm. to, to really pay attention. Sometimes it takes, you know, hours and hours and hours of glassing just to see the, the moose antlers down there. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, or he just turns his head the right, the right way and, and sticks him up above the tall grass. But yeah. I would say I would say the bigger thing is isn't even that uh, the game's not behind every tree. The problem is the tree. <laughs> <laughs> the problem it is behind the tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know if you guys have you know you, you can spot a, a massive bull moose on a hillside. Yeah, and and watch him for hours, and then he walks behind one tree, mm -hmm. and and you don't see him again. And there's a dip or something there he dropped into after the tree, right. and you'll never see him again. And that I mean, and so then you think, okay, well if that if I could spot three moose in the open in the open spaces of this hillside, how many more moose are actually on that hillside? Right, mm -hmm. right. And that's, that's how I've, I've come no, to learn, you know, feel about it. That's, it you know, that's exactly right. And it all has to do with time of year, whether or not they're there that time of year. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of animals up here, and it's more, I don't know, I think about it being a, a destination hunting location up here. Mm -hmm. it, right. it is for a lot of people. It is, right. Yeah. And, and it's a lot more the fact that it's, it's all, there's so much that's still wild. Mm -hmm. So much you can only access by airplane or any, a lot of places you can access by road. You walk a hundred yards and you're in the middle of wilderness. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. You get out of your truck and you're in the middle of wilderness, <laughs> right? The only difference is there's, you know, there's a paved spot and everything else is still wild. Yeah. I was gonna say when you drive four hours outside of the only town for, right. you know, <laughs> 400 miles. Right. Um, you know, yeah, you're in, you're in pretty good wilderness there. Yeah. But I thought, you know, it, the animals can be there and you just don't see them. Um, yeah, you got to look a little harder. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. you definitely got to look a little harder. So let's tackle these kind of one by one. There's a few in here I think we could probably clump together, I believe. Um, but he says, let's see. How would a, let's start with this one. How would a guy get all the gear needed up there? Um, honestly, the biggest thing is just fly with it. Yeah. Um, you're going to probably, honestly, pay a little bit extra for, for mm -hmm. baggage, but yep. um, that's going to be a much better option than any other way to get gear up here you don't want to try and uh ship it or anything ahead of time right uh there are i have heard of people because you know like fedex locations and whatnot will hold packages for you right personally i just think that's really 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 risky it is um that's so much more likely to get lost you're gonna pay more for shipping on a plane mm -hmm. i mean it's kind of ridiculous what they charge you if you go over 50 pounds mm -hmm. but uh at the same time you know it's most likely going to be on the plane with you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, that's the route I would go, is just plan on, plan it out, even if you have to uh, split it up between multiple bags. Yeah. You know, if, if you can, can work it in a certain way to where you maybe are part of a program that gets you an extra free bag or something like that, mm -hmm. there's several of those out there with different airlines. Yeah. Um, that'll be a good way to cut some costs there. Um, but honestly, keeping it on the plane with you is, is the only thing I would recommend. So for planning a DIY hunt, you don't need more than a carry-on of your backpack, mm -hmm. a rifle case to transport your firearm or, or your bow in, in a hard case if you're archery hunting, and then 
at the most, three additional checked on bags. Right. So that's five total items. That's what I fly if I'm going in state somewhere else. That, that, that's the mm-hmm. most that I can fly. Now, if you're flying from Alaska inside of Alaska to another destination inside of Alaska and you're a mileage plan member, I believe, of Alaska the Airlines. Club 49, yeah. If you're an yeah. Alaska resident. Right. That is, a, that is an Alaska resident thing. You can have three free checked on bags. Yes. Now, for a non-Alaska resident, I, I, I believe that through Alaska Airlines, it's $100 per extra checked on bag above your allowable limit mm-hmm. as long as it's 50 pounds or under. If it's over 50 pounds, then you also pay an extra bag plus overweight fee. Right, yeah. So if you can get an extra bag or two, if you're just flying up duffel bags and a rifle case, you should be able to get that done with two reasonably sized duffels and a rifle case. Mm-hmm. If you've got another person coming with you, then you can split that load between another person's baggage allowance. Right. You don't need that much stuff. No. In all honesty, um, it's possible to do it lightly. Mm-hmm. If you bring a jet boil type stove, obviously you can't fly with butane fuel. But they have it everywhere. But you can buy it once you yeah. get up to Alaska. That's easy to find. But if you bring a small camp cook stove, if you don't go with like a big Coleman stove, mm-hmm. if you go light on that, and then you don't bring a wall tent, say, you bring like a, let's just give an example, like a six-man Cabela's dome tent, mm-hmm. either the Cabela's Instinct six-man or the old geodesic design Cabela's Guide six-man tent. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty popular tents, uh, just, just um, traditional style tents. They're not lightweight, but they're not over 50 pounds either. Right. It's a lot easier and cheaper to fly those into Alaska than it is going to be to fly a whole wall tent up here. Right. For a traditional, you know, what folks might think of more of like a base camp atmosphere, Mm. especially on a float hunt. You also have to think about how much gear you want to put in your rafts or Mm -hmm. maybe just one raft, right? And how much more room then do you have for a moose if you kill a moose, which is obviously the goal. Right. So it's easy. Well, it's it's pretty easy to pack with weight in mind mm. and get it up here relatively easy. Pay up to two hundred dollars in extra bags, you know, for two extra bags. Say you have two free checked bags, which is the normal, and then you ha- so if you have your rifle case and a duffel bag, and then you pay for two more bags, fifty pounds or less, you're in two hundred bucks for two extra check on bags. That's going to be all you need to get up to Alaska with with all your personal gear, your equipment, your food for up to two weeks is going to weigh 30 pounds or so. Let's say if you bring like freeze-dried type food, which is going to be your best, again, your best bang for the buck as far as weight efficiency goes. Mm -hmm. Getting the moose home is a different story. (laughs) But then you get up to Alaska and you say, well, how do I do a float hunt? So that's where his question about a rental comes in. Mm -hmm. And he mentions here in his email... DIY or semi-guided slash outfitted is the most appealing, but how would you get all the gear needed up there? So assuming that you don't have rafts, Mm -hmm. I would recommend if you're going to do a float hunt, just rent a raft when you get up here. There's a lot of different companies that do that. There are a plethora of different raft rental businesses that you can just look up raft rentals in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to steer you one particular direction, just based off of what I know about this company. They have a pretty good reputation up here from what I'm aware of. Um, If someone else out there has had a bad experience with these guys, I apologize. I'm not aware of it. (laughs) But they seem to have a pretty good name up here, so we're going to mention them here. It's the 60-inch club. So if you just Google Alaska 60-inch club, 
This is a company owned by a by an Alaskan resident, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Is his name Larry? Is that right? I believe you're right. Mariah, why don't you double check me on that? But I'm oh, okay. somehow. 100% sure. Um, so if, if you go to the 60 Inch Club website and you click on, let's see here, if you click on gear rentals and raft rentals, the 60 Inch Club has their own brand of backcountry rafts. Now, they're not ultralight like an alpaca pack raft mm-hmm. style of boat will be, but these boats are big enough that you can put up to a 10 horse kicker motor on it. And you can fit two moose and one person in it as a maximum load. And they've got a couple of photos of that being done on their website. Now, you can buy a DIY full training course on the 60-inch club website. It talks about butchering. It talks about clothing. It talks about how to get a moose out, your camp gear, how to call moose. They've got two different moose calling videos that come with this course. Mm -hmm. You get a book. You get a hunt planner book and uh, complete with photos and intelligence of everything you need to know about your specific hunting area. And then they send you the regs, which you can get free online. That's no big deal. And then they have a Google Earth training stage where uh, Google Earth and Onyx hunt platforms precisely, uh, they use those to, to precisely show you how you're going to hunt your locations such as key interest points, camping spots, places we've personally seen the animals, and places to stay away from. And then they also say, you're in good hands. We hold the largest harvesting of Boone and Crockett animals taken each year by DIY hunters. Mm -hmm. Our hunters even surpass all of the guided hunters for Boone and Crockett. So they've got full customer support, and then they've got a bunch of testimonials. And so the hunt planner course is $4,500 per person, minimum purchase of two per location. So I don't know if that means that you have to pay two fees for, okay, yes, it says, this is a DIY hunt. This is a minimum two-person booking and two hunt planners must be purchased for each location. So minimum two people, and it's going to cost you $9,000 for the hunt planner. Then you can rent a raft for another 1500 bucks. So now you're over the 10,000 mark, and then you have to pay your own transport to get there and back. Right. So he asked about a semi-guided slash DIY deal. Mm-hmm. This is what it's going to cost. Yeah. This is not cheap, but it's less than half the price that you're going to pay for a fully guided moose hunt in that a lot true. of areas. Yeah. Moose and, hunts. And you still get that feel of a DIY hunt. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Basically, what you're paying for is historical knowledge of an area mm-hmm. they have several different areas yep. lakes rivers to float spots that you can just land and call and hunt from one particular place at an airstrip and just kind of have a little spike camp there they've got all kinds of different options and they also offer diy caribou hunt packages as well mm-hmm. so you're paying for someone else's knowledge and expertise in a select hand-picked historically successful hunting areas to be put there so that you don't have to do all that homework. You are being put in a place where you have a better chance to succeed theoretically than if you just come up and pick a spot on a map and hire an air charter and just go from there. So if you want to go with what he called like a semi-guided type of a hunt, that'd be, this, that'd be where I would start. Mm-hmm. Look up the 60-inch club on YouTube. 
watch a bunch of their videos. They have quite a bit on YouTube of hunts that they have facilitated and filmed. They look pretty successful. I mean, that they now I'm sure oh, they, yeah. I'm sure they mostly just post the successful things. However, <laughs> who who does that? <laughs> however, like I said earlier, from what I know of this operation, mm-hmm. they do seem to do a pretty good job. They are pretty successful. Mm-hmm. So they have a good reputation around. Yeah, here. That, they, they that. do. Yeah, they they've do. been around for a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that that would be a good place to start. Now, if you don't want to use their hunt planner, if you just wanted to use a raft, mm-hmm. you can do that. You can just rent a raft, and they'll include. Uh, I, I think they can include a motor as well on the raft deal. And it comes with oars and it comes with a patch kit that hopefully you don't need. Um, <laughs> but the rafts are sized so that you can fly them in a Super Cub. They're not over 100 pounds. Uh, mm-hmm. th- th- they are under 100 pounds, in, in fact. And they can fit in the backseat of a Super Cub. Now, you're going to pay for an extra flight for that because mm-hmm. it is somewhat bulky. But you can get it out to a spike camp via a Super Cub flight. So yeah. if you don't even want to pay for the hunt planner, maybe you just do a bunch of research on your own. You pick an air taxi that you can find somewhere that has availability. That'd be the cheaper way to go to do yeah. that. Um, I was going to say a, a lot of the um, uh, air services around here yeah. do have uh, hunt packages yep. that, that you can jump on board with. Yep. And they will be taking you to locations that they have historically known people to be successful in as well. Yeah. Um, but you're not getting the, the, the full DIY kit with right. that. That's just the transport out there. Right. Um, they don't have, you know, rights to any particular area. They just kind of know that this is where caribou are. This is where moose are. We'll, we'll take you and we'll drop you off there. Right. There's a bunch of different uh, air service companies in the, in the state that have that available. Yes. Um, so that, without being able to scout um, on your own since you're out of the state, that is not a bad way to go either. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit cheaper than paying for somebody's, you know, knowledge of an area. Right. But with that cheaper version comes, mm-hmm. you're not getting the knowledge, right? So right. There, there, is, there is a trade-off there. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll take you to where they know people have been successful before, but it's mm-hmm. not nearly as in-depth as what you're talking about with the, right. the 60-inch club. And those air taxis, th- that is completely unguided. Mm-hmm. They aren't yes. even allowed to tell you, oh, there's a moose right there. Right. They can't even point game out to you in your hunting area. Correct, yeah. That's considered guiding and assisting on a hunt. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're going to land you in somewhere, even when you're talking to them on the phone, you're going to ask them, well, are, are, are there a lot of moose in there? Mm-hmm. They're going to be as vague as they possibly can be. And because they have to be. Right. It's, right. it's legal. They right. can't tell you, oh, yeah, I'm going to put you in a great spot here. I've seen a bunch of big bulls in here this last year. Mm-hmm. You know, all of our hunters do really well. They, they're going to tell you, yeah, we've had successful hunters in there. This is where we drop moose hunters. You'll have a good chance. Yeah. That's all they're going to be able to say. Right. right? So that's not a bad way to go, and a lot of guys do that. Mm-hmm. But understand that without having someone else's knowledge, whether it's an acquaintance and a friend that can help you find an area where they might have hunted before, mm-hmm. or if you go the route of paying for this unguided hunt plan through 60-inch club, something like that, your chances are going to be a little bit lower, just understand that, than they would if you already had some some pre-acquired field knowledge from right. someone else who's already been there, who's familiar with the area. Right. He mentions the logistics seem like a tough hill to climb. 
again, there, like he already said, there are a lot of logistics involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing. No, it's and not. a lot of people, and especially as residents, we wouldn't pay um, the sixty-inch club ten thousand dollars, right, to plan a hunt for us because we live here. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to go out and scout right. where we want to hunt. But for an out-of-stater that might not have any connections, that might be worth your money. Yeah, and again, you have to keep in mind. If you want to go on a fully guided hunt, you're paying over double that. Correct. Yeah. And then you've got to pay to get whatever you shoot home. Mm-hmm. So over $25,000. Now, the other option, if you want to go truly DIY, yeah. is simply to do as much, you know, you could almost say obsessive research as you can. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Search every forum, search every Facebook group, search every, take in every little snippet of information you right. can. Um, listen to podcasts and, like this one. Listen to podcasts like this. And uh, just try to make as informed a decision as you can. That's going to be your cheapest way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, keep in mind, though, um, that with the, the cheaper the option, um, the lower your chances of success or the higher your chance of running into other people. Right. You know, if you're going out with the 60-inch club, um, they're going to take you somewhere intentionally that they know has good animals, gives you a really good high chance of success, and they know you're in there and they are able to bring people in and schedule so your chances of competition are much lower. Exactly. Um, if you fly out with one of these, these people that take you in, again, they control comes in and out. They try to work it on schedules. You know, all the different um, uh, airline companies here try to work together so they're not competing too hard. Um, so you might not run into too much competition, but then you don't have the knowledge of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, And then if you're just going off of what you can find on Facebook, Google, things like that, then you're going to probably be competing with a lot of other people that are doing the same thing. Right. Um, Right. So just understand that it it gets really hard to kind of get the the perfect hunt at the perfect price. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of got to make a sacrifice somewhere. Yeah. Um, And one thing you can do um, to kind of, you got to weed out a lot of bad information when Mm -hmm. you're, when you're doing your own research. There's, you know, people that'll, that'll have one successful hunt in an area, um, or maybe their idea of being out in the wilderness is a little bit different than what yours might be. You kind of got to weed through who you're Mm -hmm. taking advice from. Um, and that's another big thing there. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, you know, look at, look at fish and game, look at your maps, you know, get whether you're using Onyx or go hunt or whatever map platform you're using, um, go through it, you know, look at the data, look at, you know, what fish and game says talk to biologists up here. You know, they're, they're always open to talking to people. Um, mm-hmm. They're not just going to tell you exactly where to go, but if you have specific questions about an area that you've been scouting, chances are they'll be pretty friendly with you mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, help you out as best they can. They're not, again, going to point you right. right at the moose, but they'll, right. they'll help you out. If, if, you, if you play nice, they'll play nice. So. so one more thing before we move on from this, mm-hmm. the next thing is Pristine Adventures with Larry Bartlett is another operation that has do-it-yourself hunt planners available. I just look on his website and it says, Unguided Hunt Planner. Our hunt plan service is retired for new guests. Mm. We are fully booked until 2026. And from that year forward, only repeat customers will be supported. So there's another DIY opportunity that is now closed for any new opportunities for new guests being booked. (laughs) They have so many repeat guests. Yeah. So many new, uh, I'm sorry, so many repeat 
clientele. Mm-hmm. But they don't even need to take on new clients for their right. DIY adventures. And he rents rafts and things like that and professional services, but not guiding. Mm-hmm. And that one's booked yeah. completely. And they're not even taking on new people. So those kind of things are in high demand up here because not everybody wants to pay for a fully guided hunt. And a lot of guys like that challenge of, sure, someone helps them facilitate getting into a spot. They rent them some rafts and things like that. The, the gear to, to operate in the field. You bring all your own personal stuff. They give you the tools to hunt the area. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to pay for a guide. And, and so you still have a, a sense of independence and self-reliance on a hunt like that. That's in pretty high demand, obviously, right. here. So something like, something like the 60-inch club might, uh, might be a good option to go. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I would say watch a bunch of videos of DIY hunts in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I, I believe this guy said, uh, no, that was somebody else. Well, in case you don't already know, go watch Brian Call's video mm-hmm. on the Gritty YouTube channel from yeah. last fall. Their float moose caribou hunt that they did up here last year. That's about as good of an example of a DIY float hunt for moose and caribou that you're going to find on the internet right now. Right. They do a good job of showing what a hunt like that is. Now, they don't tell you where they were or who they, you know, if they flew with anybody or not, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, they, they keep all those details secret as most folks do. You're not going to find much info, information as far as details of where they went and how they got there type of deal. But it'll give you an idea of how a hunt like that's supposed to go. Right. How you're supposed to operate, how you're supposed to hunt animals like that on a hunt facilitated just by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that'd be a good example and kind of a good place to learn a few things and, and kind of give yourself some ideas there. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the biggest thing to remember is, you know, it's you're only going to get as much as you, the effort you put in. Right. And mm-hmm. so if you're willing to put in the effort for, the heavy amount of research you're going to have to do if you don't want to pay one of these guys, mm-hmm. then you'll probably get a pretty good shot. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll get a higher chance. Yeah. Um, but paying one of these guys, you know, it's, it's hard to think about coming all the way up here, you know, paying for a, a raft rental, paying for the air flight just to go home empty handed because you're trying to save a buck. Right. Um, in some instances, it's worth maybe waiting another year or two, yeah. um, you know, just to kind yeah. of, give you that higher chance it's never a guarantee but right. but to give you that that highest chance of success for the you know potentially once in a lifetime hunt so and, and also keep in mind too if you say man i just can't justify spending upwards of 10 to fifteen thousand dollars all included for a planned hunt by this diy service and flights mm-hmm. maybe you can split it up mm-hmm. maybe you'd say well i don't want to spend that much money on one trip but I would be okay with with cumulatively spending that much money over two or three trips. Oh, yeah. Maybe you come up and do it as cheaply as possible the first time. Learn what it's like to hunt in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Spend $5,000 or less. Just just do a completely DIY thing, right? Don't uh, Maybe don't even pay for flights. Just find somewhere that you can hike into or raft off of a road system somewhere. Yep. Just get your feet wet, yeah. literally and figuratively, right? <laughs> <laughs> and... But then you don't break the bank. You don't spend 10 to 15 grand on the hunt. But next year, you don't have no money left to do it again. Right. And maybe after one or two or three trips, well, you can do it cheaply now. Now you know what you need. Now now you know what you don't need to bring all the way up here. Right. You can cut that gear list down to what you know you're going to use. 
And then maybe after a year or two, you find a really good spot. And then you say, all right, now I want to pay for a flight and the raft rental because now I know where I want to go. Right. I know how to hunt this area now. That might be a good way to go as well. Yeah. And and just right before we, we jump into this next part of his question, there is plenty of opportunity not that far out yep. in Alaska. Yep. You know, like Mo was saying earlier, I mean, if you drive far enough out somewhere and you step out of your truck, you're in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to fly somewhere to, to kill moose. You don't need to float even necessarily. There's plenty of opportunity if you can find a decent spot and get in off a road system somewhere, there might be moose hanging out there. I'm not going to say it's a high percentage, but if you're trying to come up here on the cheap mm-hmm. and just get the experience, see right. the terrain, figure out, like you said, Dalton, figure out where you're going, it's not that that's a 0% chance kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of residents that yeah. kill plenty of moose yep. without flying anywhere, right. without needing to, to go crazy places. I mean, realistically, I guess all of Alaska's yeah. could, could be considered a crazy yep. place, right. but yep. Yep. crazy for us, you know? Um, and, and so it's not that you, you run a zero chance of success if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, getting experience in person in the woods you plan to hunt is probably the best, the, the best pre-planning you can get. Yep. Um, I agree. Even if, I mean, even if it's not during season, I mean, you, these days, if you, if you watch, uh, airlines carefully enough, you can plan a trip up for 400 bucks from, from a lot of places in the yeah. lower 48, you yeah. know, round trip sometimes. If you, if you get the good deals, if you're watching the, these websites, um, and it might not be a bad idea to just take a week, come up here and just rent a truck and go get some experience, yeah. you know, see mm-hmm. where you're going to be. Yep. Just go see the terrain. Yeah. Um, hopefully those are a couple of good recommendations for you. Mm-hmm. Um, before we, we get off of his questions. So he asked, how do you get hundreds of pounds of moose meat back to the lower 48? Yeah. And, uh, and we've covered that a, a little bit in some previous episodes, but, uh, one reason we recommend everybody fly with Alaska airlines coming up here and back is that they have a fantastic cargo service. Yep. Um, the Alaska airlines cargo service offers, uh, shipping at a pretty, a pretty affordable rate compared yep. to, to most. Um, yep. but the coolest part is that they offer you uh, a chilled option mm-hmm. or a frozen option. Yes. So, you know, from the time that you drop it off, if you drop it off chilled and you don't want it to be frozen, yep. but you don't want it to spoil either, they will keep it nice and refrigerated for you. It'll show up cool mm-hmm. wherever you're going, and then mm-hmm. you can hang it and process it from there. Yep. If you want it frozen and you don't care that it freezes, um, then they, they'll do that for you too. And, yep. and it's probably the most affordable way to get meat out of Alaska, I would I, say. I would um, definitely agree with you. It's going to be more expensive than you might want, <laughs> and that's something they can... They can call, you know, you can just call them and they can give you all their rates. It's, it's a, I believe it's a flat rate per pound, um, depending on the service you are, you yeah. ask for, whether yep. it's chilled or frozen, obviously s- some take more effort than others. Um, but you can get an idea of what that would cost, um, ahead of time and then just budget for it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to be your safest route to get the meat home. Yeah. So, yep, I agree. I, I think once you get out of the field, you know, if, if you can leave the meat on the bone, that's what we prefer to do to get it home on the bone in, in, as, as the quarters go there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go buy like a, like a set of Costco totes, like those black uh, uh, totes with the yellow lids that already have holes in them throughout the lid that you can zip tie shut for your flights. And if you get the big totes, those will fit moose quarters in them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's a pretty good way of being able to do that if you want to leave the meat on the bone. Obviously, that the head is not going to fit in any totes. If if you shoot a uh, if you shoot a bull with a rack of any size at all, and you want to fly it out for a euro mount or mm-hmm. a freedom mount, as Mariah likes to call it, <laughs> yeah, right. um, long live the patriot. <laughs> <laughs> You, uh, you're, you're going to have to get all the meat off that skull as, 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 as good as you can, as clean as possible, and then wrap the skull in like a clear saran wrap type of a thing, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then add bubble wrap over that, and then duct tape or gorilla tape it all on there, and then tape on some, uh, some chunks of rubber garden hose over all the antler tines and then tape those on there and then wrap the whole thing in bubble wrap so that it won't poke or puncture anything or injure anybody during transit. It's actually a pretty comical thing to it's see when it's, process. when it's yeah. done. It looks pretty goofy, but <laughs> it's going to arrive safe and not all scratched up and nobody's going to be complaining about holes in their cargo. So that's how you're going to have to transport the head home. There are probably plenty of videos out there showing that process. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not aware of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's information out there on how to do that. Alaska Airlines even tells you, you can just take like like tennis balls and just poke those over the antler tines as well, like on the brow tines where you've got longer points and then tape those on there. That works pretty well too. Yep. So if you do have to debone the meat, a pretty good way of doing that is using what we call fish boxes. And you can get two different sizes of fish boxes. I would get the larger size. I think you can fit up to 50 pounds in each mm-hmm. fish box there. And they're and just a styrofoam cooler for the most part, well, surra- surrounded in cardboard. Right. So, so the bigger fish boxes don't all have, don't, don't, um, uh, have all styrofoam in them. Mm. The bigger ones, you can get just a waxed box and inside, you can just get like a, um, a plastic liner bag hmm. to wrap up your meat in so that it won't leak through. And inherently, the, the, the wax finish on the inside of the box won't allow blood and things like that to seep out. But then on top of that, inside of the box, you've got a, a plastic bag to wrap up whatever the contents are. That's what I usually fly all of my deer home in. Uh, from from whatever part of Alaska I'm deer hunting in, I use the 50 pound fish boxes if I can find them if mm. they're you know locally available, which they were on this last hunt, and we were able to fit two blacktail bucks hmm. in two 50 pound fish boxes, boned out and then positioned properly so that they would you know kind of play Legos and fit them all in there. And then I used no, you know what? I lied. I'm sorry. I couldn't fit the racks in the fish boxes, so instead of using fish boxes and a tote for the heads. I went ahead and used two 27-gallon Costco totes with those yellow lids, and I put the meat in two separate totes, and then in one of them, I had a little bit less meat, and I had both the heads in there. Okay. And then I flew both totes home, frozen cargo, mm-hmm. and, uh, but, but usually I use one tote for all the heads, and then I'll use the rest of the meat in fish boxes. You just tape those things up, and those work just fine. Most guys will use fish boxes and they just parcel it out, you know, as much meat as you can fit per fish box and fly it all home like that. Mm -hmm. I think a couple of friends of mine flew, what was it? Two, no, 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 four caribou and a full moose home, all the meat and all the heads on cargo. And it wasn't over a couple thousand dollars. Hmm. 
I, yeah. I, and if if I'm not wrong, I, I I know it wasn't over three, but I think it was under two thousand. Nice. It, it might have been. That's a lot of fourteen meat. or fifteen hundred a piece <laughs> right. for both of them. But I I know for sure that it wasn't much over, if at all, over three thousand. But still, mm-hmm. you think about it. That's four full caribou and a sixty inch bull moose. That's and their heads. That's racks. That that's yeah. now that they they taped. Uh, two caribou racks to two caribou racks, right? So they had two sets of racks taped together. Mm-hmm. Then they had the moose by itself. So essentially, three sets of racks, all taped up and protected, and then a truck bed load of fish boxes of meat. <laughs> and they flew it all home frozen. And that was flying out of Alaska. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that expensive for how much weight they had. It really mm-hmm. wasn't all that bad. So one moose uh, with a head, I would probably budget for two thousand or less, and probably. Yeah. Probably fifteen hundred to two thousand, somewhere in that range. Which, if you think about it, is not that bad because there is bad. no way you're flying a whole moose home and your luggage on your right. <laughs> on your flight for that cheap. It's <laughs> just a bunch of dry ice. And you know, <laughs> if um, if you just don't want to pay to fly it all home and you don't want the meat to go to waste, just call us. Yeah, just <laughs> let us know why you're in town and we will help you out. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll give you. We hand. will give those to uh, to some poor, unfortunate <laughs> northern hunters that that just want your moose meat. So. Right. As long as it's clean. As long as it's clean, <laughs> yeah. And we're we're, we're going to do a, a whole bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. all right, Zach. Well, we appreciate you uh, writing into the show. Uh, hopefully, we were able to answer your questions. And uh, as for the, the second part of your email, we'll definitely be in touch about that, too. So, excited for that. Um, let's take a quick break, and then we'll, we'll dive into the rest of this. Hammer Bullets produces what we at The Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great BCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high-velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code the Northern Hunter to drop the hammer on your next adventure. All right, and so the last question we're going to tackle today, um, more of a uh, inquiry, I suppose. Uh, ben writes into the show and. Uh, just to skim over this, he says, I stumbled upon your stumbled on your podcast the other day and like it. Thanks. We appreciate you listening, man. Um, he call he's asking for I guess advice and uh who to contact for outfitters, transporters for a DIY caribou hunt. Uh brings up a potential deer hunt mm-hmm. down in uh the south regions of the state, southeast. Um, and he, he's essentially having kind of the same problem. Um, that Zach was, you know, he's working on the logistics, working on figuring out how to, how to get out and, and find people to bring them to these spots. It's, mm-hmm. it is a challenging thing when you're, when you don't live here. And mm-hmm. I mean, Alaska is yep. a vast area. So, um, Dalton, I think in the last episode, you had mentioned some, some resources as far as that goes. Yes. Um, why don't you go over that just, just one more time, just. Yeah. So in the last show, we talked about a 
Airbnb type website. Yes. For, or, or kind of a Yelp as well, where you have kind of a portfolio <laughs> for client and outfitter. It, it's, it's called Outfitter Services. It's a really neat, kind yeah. of unique system. It, it's, yeah. it's a very good idea. And so Caleb Stillian's a friend of mine, started this business, I believe it was sometime last year. He's a guide and he works up in Alaska pretty regularly. And he started this business. It's, it's a website. If you go to outfitterservices.com, you can select where you want to hunt, like state or region, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And then you can select what you want to hunt, big game, small game, waterfowl, things like that. And then you can select a date range. And then you click search and it brings up all outfitters that are working through Outfitter Services that are linked with that company. Mm-hmm. And it'll show you which ones have availability for that type of hunt that you want to do in that time slot that you have selected. And it's got fishing charters. It's got hunting, a a lot of hunting on there. Mm -hmm. And I I believe there are some DIY opportunities on there as well. Yeah. So that's probably where I would start. He's got transporters and everything on there too. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's got a lot of resources on there and it's still growing. He's adding more outfitters and transporters and, and things like that to the portfolio that that's available to the clients that Mm want to search there, um, on a regular basis. He's adding things regularly to that site. So that's kind of probably the direction I would steer you to start with. If you're having a hard time finding an outfitter or a transporter that has open dates, I would go there. Try that first. That's going to be a really good platform. The longer it's around, the more outfitters and clientele are going to help that grow and expand mm-hmm. to more services. That's going to be a really good tool. We don't like to uh, really name a lot of transports and air taxis on this show because all the ones that we know are pretty much book solid. <laughs> and Well, I was going to say they're, they're pretty much book solid, but the other thing is we, we don't want to either unjustly send somebody a direction or, you know, give them a a bad tip. You know, we have some friends that we know, obviously, that that are in the industry. We we know of people. Alaska is not that big of a place as far as people go. Right. Um, Everybody kind of knows everybody in some kind of way. Yep. Um, But a lot of it with, with a resource like this, one thing I like about it is you can get you know, reviews and ratings from people that have actually used the service specific Mm -hmm. to what you're looking for. Right. And you're, you're not just hearing you know, a couple of biased opinions, basically. Right. So exactly, exactly. So that's probably where I would direct you to go is, is look, um, just go on that website, outfitterservices.com and look through there, check out what they've got and then go from there. Mm-hmm. And you can talk to the outfitters and kind of get an idea and uh, have a little chat mm-hmm. and make sure that they are offering what you're actually interested in, whether that's a deer hunt or a sheep hunt or a bear hunt or a fishing trip or Really, whatever you're looking at, if there is an outfitter there that's listed, you can get in touch with them mm-hmm. and confirm that you are actually going to have the experience that you're after going with that operation. Yeah. So that'd be my recommendation. And another thing he mentioned here is he said uh, draw hunts are okay. So he is interested in putting in for draw hunts here. Yeah. Um, one thing to remember, uh, Ben, is that with non-residents, depending on what, what you're wanting to chase, which... From the sounds of your your email, you're not wanting to chase any of the specific animals that would require you to have a guide. But if you are pursuing an animal such as a sheep or a brown bear or something like that, where you have to 
have a guide as a non-resident to Alaska, you have to have that contract with the guide set up ahead of time. I think we talked about this in the last episode. Um, before you can even apply for the draw. And the reason they do that is just so that you don't end up stuck with a tag that you can't fulfill because, as we've said, mm-hmm. all of these services book up really quick. So you got to at least secure a slot so that if you're lucky enough to draw that hunt, you're able to fulfill that tag and it doesn't just get wasted. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as draw tags go, Mo, you had something you wanted to cover as far as... Yeah, so there's each of the uh, mapping platforms. If you have the premium subscription because there's multiple subscription levels with them. Most mm-hmm. of them, the base subscription only covers your maps and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, so you can have your downloads and all that. But then if you have the premium subscription with Onyx, with Go Hunt, there's a new one I thought I'd bring up. I don't know if I even mentioned this to you guys or not, but it's called Spartan Forge. I have oh, yeah, you do. You have, you have it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. where'd t- you hear about it? I'm not going to say. Okay. <laughs> okay, I heard about it on a, on a, on a uh, podcast with uh, Jack Carr. Okay. Um. Anyhow, and uh, I decided to check it out, and... I really like what they're doing. Yeah. Mm. They've got amazing stuff in the lower 48. They've got great 3D. Amazing yeah. 3D. And in the lower 48, they've got the contour lines and they down to 10 feet intervals, <laughs> which is, <laughs> That's you, know, and you can adjust it 10, 20, 25. Yeah. Um, it's not, they don't have that set up in Alaska yet. They've got slope angle colors that just as a slight overlay that doesn't affect your maps too much that you can set up. And that's all in the lower 48. I haven't seen it in Alaska yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was just, I just sent them a message thinking about this. Like, <laughs> I hey, can't believe that you found them randomly. That's, I, that, that's I found really them a month funny. or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was during baiting season actually okay. um, yeah. is when I found them. I'm impressed with their maps. There are a few things that they need to work on, but it, they, it's definitely early access as, as a base product. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Well, so, and they're <laughs> developed by a uh, special ops guys. Yeah. Who, who fought in Iraq and they decided to use a lot of technology they use for hunting terrorists for hunting deer and that's they don't quite say it like that but that's basically what they say um, it I'm works. sure there's a lot of crossover there yeah. Their, yeah. their maps are fantastic and uh, I, I really want to see what they have what, I really want to see some of the stuff they have in the lower 48 just the basic like the slope angle and the contours like those things would just make it another level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah. they have a supplement too. They do. They have a uh they have a, uh the Easton tag hub. Okay, yeah. They're okay. set yeah. up with that. Um and then you know on X the Elite they've got Top Rut and then Go Hunt has their own draw odds yeah. included mm-hmm. with their with their insider program. And uh yeah. any one of those, you know, Dalton you like the uh, Go Hunt one better. Yeah. Did I say Onyx had draw odds? I think that's go that's Go Hunt, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but any any mapping platform, if you're signed up with one, they have a draw odds that will show you, that it, it'll break it all down, the species and the chances of, you know, the draw odds, obviously chances of getting it and, yeah, where, right. and where you're at. And it makes it a lot we easier. Breaks down the units and everything for them. Because yeah. if you get the, especially, I don't know about the others, but if you get the Alaska draw hunt application <laughs> on it's, the website, or especially if you get the paper, yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah, and, and if you're not already familiar with where you're trying right. to go, yeah, it can get very, yeah. it's very just a confusing bunch of numbers. very quickly. Right, and, and a lot of these, you can like click on the unit on the map or the area you want to hunt on the map, and then it'll take you to that and what's available there. Mm-hmm. A lot of so. times it'll show you how many applicants there were historically per season, what the, what, what the, um, the draw percentage was of those applicants. Right. And then also what the success rate was of the applicants mm-hmm. that actually went and hunted. Yeah. The the percentage of applicants who actually hunted. So you actually get a pretty intuitive look at, oh yeah, okay, there's 2,000 applicants, 400 got drawn, 
200 of the 400 applicants that were drawn actually went and hunted. And of the 200 that actually hunted, 75 killed animals. Right. So you can narrow it right down. Well, yeah. And, and it really can help you get into a good area and pick mm-hmm. out which part of the state you want to be in. Yep. But yep. so hopefully all those resources are helpful. There's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, again, we don't recommend anybody specifically, but if you use these resources, you will find yeah. anything you can, mm-hmm. you can look for. And yep. uh, they're all great, run by great people. So yep. um, we're going to cut this one off short a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the middle of, of season. It's getting a little late. We all got... Uh, you know, prepping to do, packing yeah. and yeah. things like that. We're all, we're all involved heavily. So this one is going to be a little bit shorter today. Um, but before we, we close this one out, we wanted to uh, pose a question to our listeners. So we have acquired some cameras and we're going to start filming some things, um, videos around here, videos out in the field. Um, we're going to try to start doing a video podcast at some mm-hmm. point. That might be more of a winter project, but, uh, the question we wanted to pose to you guys is, since this is an informational, educational platform, what are you guys most curious about? What would you like us to tackle first yeah. in our venture into video? Um, are you worried more about you know, seeing how to put on a DIY hunt? We get a lot of questions about DIY hunts. Is there a yeah. specific animal that you're more worried or curious about? Um, gear reviews, things like that, how things work in Alaska. Um, all of these things. If you uh, message into the show uh, through the contact button at the website, which we're really hoping is working by the time this I'm comes out. Just go ahead and give a disclaimer. Just email info at thenorthernhunter.com right That's now. That's probably a better Or option. use yeah. the socials because I know I'm, I, I'm messaging the people with the website right now because this is server side, not my end. But mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll see what this, we'll see what happens and <laughs> how much money they'll be paying us back from but what, it's just what I've paid right. them. <laughs> Right. It's just better to just but, directly email yeah, us. Yeah. Yep. Just, so that email is info at the Northern Hunter. And uh, the uh, if you search at the Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram, you can send us messages there. We will get them and we try to respond as quickly as we can. Um, we might even put something up on the the Instagram story for this kind of a this kind of a, a poll, I guess mm, you could call it. But yep. uh, let us know. We are here to help and we're we're eager. So yeah. Uh, hopefully, we answered all of your questions to those of you that were uh, waiting eagerly since we didn't get to them last week and. Uh, if you have any extra questions, any listeners, anything you're curious about, feel free to write us in at any of those addresses I just mentioned, and uh, we would love to hear from you, love to answer your questions. If you have any extra questions about what we just talked about, you want any kind of a expansion on, on any of these topics, let us know for sure. We, this is what we're here for. So, yep. And if you'd like to, uh, like to support what we're doing and help us keep going, Dalton's here to talk to you about that. While you're on your hunt, make sure that you're protecting your rifle with the rifle cover from Stealthy Hunter our good friend at Ryan Lampers, and also our other sponsorships include Hammer Bullets, Yukon River Knives, uh, Batum 907, and Weatherby Rifles. We mentioned those earlier in the show. We'd appreciate it if you guys would shop the products from there and use the discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER mm-hmm. at StealthyHunter.com, Hammer Bullets, and Yukon River Knives. And then you can also use the discount code TNHP at checkout if you're shopping from Batum 907. And remember, if you buy Weatherby Rifle, let them know we sent you. And last but not least, the Northern Hunter now has merchandise. We do. Hats, hoodies, and t-shirts are available on our website that we, in good faith, will hopefully have working by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> so be sure to order a hat, a hoodie, or a t-shirt. That all really helps us support the show 
And, uh, you know, keep the lights on the studio and you know, keep us doing what we're doing. And nobody we likes appreciate. Re- nobody likes report or recording podcasts in the dark. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We appreciate your guys' help and support, and we look forward to, uh, to having some good content as our fall hunting season progresses. Absolutely. So hopefully you all are uh, having a great season. Thank you for listening. Again, be safe out there. You want to be able to come home with your stories and your trophies. So until next week, get out there, get after it, and good luck. We'll see you there. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.